Welcome to Season 3 of Voices of Value, where Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos continue their conversations with high-achieving guests who share their personal stories and, more importantly, the lessons they've learned from their journey. Whether it's Olympians sharing the roadmap that took them to a gold medal, professional sports people taking you inside their mindset, business leaders revealing their success strategies, or everyday people sharing life hacks, you can be sure you'll find value simply by joining the discussion with your hosts, Peter and Rick. Welcome to Voices of Value. It's Peter Kakos here with my co-host, Rick Rushton. And gee, it's great to be back, Rick, and uh, still continue along with some great Voices of Value in Season 3. It is, mate, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us today, a coach who was a coach way before coaching had the terminology or the, dare I say, modern-day training wrapped up as coaching that we seem right across the board. This is an absolute, genuine, bona fide in the model that we love on this particular uh, program, and if you're watching or listening, you know, really be excited by the opportunity to listen to Mark McKeon, who is uh, somebody who's got a track record in coaching that tells us that he's time-tested but his methodology is timely for today. He is somebody who has played at the elite level of his chosen sport of AFL football. Uh, I actually remember him as being the runner during our 1990 premiership, but that's a story for another time, Pete, because uh, I know you're back from North and that's not, you know, premierships are just a fond memory for you now. I understand that. But also Mark and I have a connection with someone who was a great mentor to me and someone I mentioned in my book, uh, my former PE teacher, former football coach at East Burwood, uh, in the, the great Alan McConnell, who this man played with during his VFA period of 83, 84, premiership years too, Mark, just by the way, I'm sure that if, without you playing, they wouldn't, wouldn't have been premierships uh, <laughs> around that particular time. But more importantly, mate, you're a coach to corporate Australia, individuals across Australasia, and more importantly, your books that are sold globally tells us that we've got a real voice of value to bring to the microphone today. On behalf of all of our listeners and viewers, it's a very special welcome to Mark McKeon. Mark, welcome. Thanks, guys. Hi, everyone. Great to, great to be on. Well, mate, we appreciate the gift of your time. You are an ex-Melburnian who's enjoying escaping lockdown before lockdown even came in and in the beautiful Sunshine Coast up there in Queensland. But, uh, mate, just for those who are meeting you and being introduced to you for the first time, just give us your leadership and coaching journey. Uh, it's uh, quite a long one. So uh, I graduated from uh, uni, did a, a, a human movement course sort of back in the late 70s, played a bit of, in those days, VFL footy for, uh, for Melbourne and then a few years after that I, I was doing about three things at once. I started a business doing corporate gyms. In fact my, my first business was called Porter Health as in portable health and I had a one-time van in the back of the van. I had skipping ropes and exercise bikes and, and dumbbells and so on and the idea would be I'd, I, people wouldn't get in the van. It was a bit tight but I'd drive around to different businesses and try to get people to do a circuit workout um, before work, during lunchtime or after work, and they'd, they'd go back to work. So pretty modest uh, start to business. I had my mum answering the phone. She kept saying, hello, you've run Porterhouse. So <laughs> it was pretty pretty dodgy, but uh, we did manage to get a number of clients and that, that, um, that portable fitness stuff, which obviously became big 30 years later, um, we transformed that into on-site corporate facilities so the first on-site corporate gyms or some of the first on-site corporate gyms in in australia so i was doing that i became working uh, what now would be called a high performance coach but i began working on the conditioning staff at collingwood at the same time um, and i also sort of roughly during that period 
um, started writing in a magazine called UltraFit. And the, the, the background of that was when I was going through uni and actually uh, playing um, VFL myself, the training we did was just was just ridiculous. It was just stupid, like a 40-degree hot Melbourne night. And you might know the, the grass verge on the back of the shrine, sort of on the, uh, the south side of the shrine. So it's about 80 or 90 metres. And we, were, we ran up this thing 90 times, I think, and guys were collapsing with heat stroke. And it was just... It was just ridiculous. I, I just I spent five years tired. I was tired the whole time. You'd love the games, but the rest of the week you were just waiting for the game and waiting for the end of the season. So all those things started getting me to write in in coaching journals at the time about overtraining and the dangers of overtraining, um, and that led me to develop some philosophies. I'm sure we talk about as we go, but the combination of those things, you know, dealing with corporate people in a gym environment. Um, dealing with footy players in a high-performance environment and then being um, trying to articulate my thoughts in words at the time, I guess, um, started me on that journey. That's great. Let's talk about um, – it's interesting when you – I just you just had me thinking then about the back of the shrine and that, and, uh, you know, that grassy knoll up there. And it, um, don't talk to Rick about that because uh, he lived right next to the 1,000 steps and never did them once. But anyway, <laughs> I don't want to um, – I don't want to sort of bring that up again as I, uh, but, as you I do. but you will, but, yeah, but, but you will, we'll fit in. Yeah. yeah. Mark in, in, in quite challenging times that, you know, that, that everyone's going through, um, not only just here in Melbourne, Victoria and across Australia and certainly across the world as well. I'd love to talk about a few things today and uh, Rick and I have discussed it, particularly around peak performance and this word called peak performance, um, um, is quite common vernacular right now. Um, certainly around energy sort of levels and any little tips. So I'd love to sort of pick your brain today and look for little little hacks in terms of how do we how do we keep our energy levels up there? How do we keep our our peak performance on song? Um, and 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 whilst doing that, how we sort of remain uh, resilient in the uh, in the whole process. So just a few things I want to throw out there now. Hopefully we can uh, we can cover yeah. those, but. But I know that you've got some wonderful stuff to sort of share. I just want to make sure we don't miss anything today because, um, you know, and because and, and, I know you bring tremendous amounts of value um, to your audiences all across Australia. And um, But I'll let you take it where you want to take it. But certainly what we're looking for today is I'll, I'd love our listeners and viewers just to, to really gain some real um, energy building peak performance sort of techniques. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's good that we're not going to aim too high today, but that's, that's great. I have done the thousand steps, but not uh, not, not backwards. Yeah, look, it's a it's a really decent and honest question, and I, I have to tell you that I'm a, I'm a structure man. I absolutely believe in structure and not making it up as you go. So there's lots lots of places we could take it, but if I I just tell you about what I call the go zone, and then you might be able to fire a couple of questions at me. So I often teach uh, one of my, I guess you call it my signature programs that I try to uh, share with corporate people as much as I can. It's called the go zone. So there's a go zone for focus. There's a slow zone for cruise and there's a no zone for recovery. So it's like changing gears. Now there's a whole lot of physiology that sits under this about what's happening with your adrenaline levels and your neurotransmitters, if you're serotonin and melatonin and all that stuff. But 
leave it for us to say there's a cocktail of blood chemistry that's going on that if we don't control it, it will control us. When people, you know, in, in ISO or if they're just life, they're finding life pretty tough and they think, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my head? It's often your body and it's not your head because the body knows things that your mind doesn't know it knows. So by having this a capacity to change gears or to change zones, as I call them, absolutely puts you in control of that blood chemistry. So you're not trying to be all things to all people all of the time. And one of the first lessons in peak performance is you can't be at that level, what I call the go zone, all the time. I try to get people into the go zone for about two hours a day. And they think, oh, hang on, I'm busy all day. I'm in the go zone all day, every day. Well, with the greatest respect, they're not because you can't be at that level. We all know what it's like if we've been so under the pump or you do, you do an exam or you've got an intense presentation or a meeting and you come out of it and think, oh, I, just, you know, I feel like I've run a half marathon after that because of the pressure and the intensity of what I've done. Uh, it takes a toll, as it has to. I'm not uh, trying to be funny, but as humans, we need to have periods of higher and lower arousal. So... I try to get people as much as possible to structure their go zones in advance. I mean, put them in your planner, put them in your calendar, write them on a piece of paper if you need to, but you know in advance that I'm going to do a go zone for my job. Now, so what's a go zone? So if I'm a corporate person, a go zone is when you do tasks. So a task is anything that takes up to an hour. Anything more than an hour is a project and you break it down into smaller tasks. But a task might be a phone call, it might be a one-on-one, it might be working on a spreadsheet, uh, it could be a difficult conversation, it could be thinking about a decision you have to make, but that's important things for your business. And I encourage people when they're in the go zone to actually have a list of tasks. I, I do almost everything digitally, but I love a good old-fashioned list so you can cross things off. And I actually cover the things I've done, cover the things I haven't done, so I'm now looking at one thing. And that's one of the essences of the, the go zone. I often pinch a quote from Justin Lang, our cricket coach, who says, the essence of mental toughness is the ability to focus only on the very next thing, the thing that's right in front of you. And the analogy from cricket's great because he, he said he got to the stage in his career where it didn't matter whether he's facing his first ball or um, – they needed 10 runs to win or had just been hit on the helmet because the only thing he had any control over was the very next thing. And while life's a bit more complex than that for many of us, it's such a great strategy because it stops you thinking about all the other stuff and your blood chemistry responds accordingly. So the two benefits of doing go zones is firstly efficiency. You know, people of the Go Zone book, there's a quick plug for the Go Zone book. It's published in about 12 countries in a few languages. And I get emails from people every day who, just, who share their Go Zone journey. So I can say with some confidence, you'll get more done unless you are already super efficient. But equally importantly, especially in times when people are a bit more isolated, uh, maybe working from home, don't normally ha have the support they would normally have, it's the liberation. It stops you worrying about stuff that you can't control or worrying about stuff you can deal with later. So having these periods where you step up for a couple of hours a day and then you step out. And just uh, to conclude that before I let you jump in, some people don't have lives where life fits into a nice, tidy two-hour block to do the, all the important stuff. And that's when you develop the skills, as many leaders have done and need to do to step in and out of the go zone multiple times over the course of the, uh, of the day. And that's great to do that, 
But in order to get to that level of stepping in and out of the go zone, uh, as, you know, often during the day, it's really important to develop at the skill to do a go zone block, a two-hour go zone. And so it's a progressive thing. But once people have that skill, then they feel like, right, I need to dial up a go zone right now and get some of this stuff done. Or equally, they, they might think to say, oh, boy, I've been in the go zone for a while now. I'm going to step out. Uh, and just to conclude the conclusion, I actually even get people to set their smartwatch or their, get a countdown time or set the oven at home to do, get something to make a noise to signify that's the end of my go zone for this morning or this afternoon or, or for today. What are some of the, um, the things you use? You said there about pen and paper and the lists and so forth. I love, I love my lists and, and to achieve lists and all that sort of stuff and crossing off. I just think the power in sort of crossing it off. For you, how are you dealing with um, those clients that, that, that are more digitally sort of focused? And, um, and, and do you see that as, a, as can sometimes be a bit more of a distraction um, with the digital? How are you dealing with that digital-minded person? Yeah, look, it doesn't matter. They can, have, they can have a digital list. They can have a notepad list. It absolutely doesn't matter and they can erase it. But the whole, the whole key is the structure. But also, I think as partially as you're sort of alluding to there, it's also the ritual nature of it. So when I do a go zone, you know, I take a few deep breaths and you pump yourself up and you talk loud and I pull my chair in and I sit up really straight. Uh, I take away any distraction or excuse. So I, if there's anything on your desk, get rid of it or, or go to the kitchen table or, or go somewhere else. So you're actually setting yourself up. If you're in an office environment or a family environment, really tough with little kids, by the way, but if there's people around, you let them know. I'm heading into the go zone. When we worked out of our office in Melbourne, I'd actually, the only time I'd ever shut my door was when I was in a go zone. So it's a message to myself and all the team that, you know, Mark's in the go zone. So he's going to be in there for a while. People in, in corporate environments, I know it's not happening now because of ISO, would often put up signs. They'd do it together as groups. And the other thing that I really urge people to do, if you're going to give this a go, as I hope you will, is get a go zone symbol. That's something that only comes out when you're in the go zone. For a lot of people, it's a bit of jewellery that's uh, got some emotional connection from a family point of view and they display that. They might you know, put on a pin or a brooch. Some people get out a photo of their family or a holiday destination they're aspiring to. I actually use a little model of the, the Pantheon, the building in Rome, that's the dome. It's been there for 2,000 years. It's strong and it's resilient and that's where I want to be when I'm in the go zone. So in the go zone, no distractions, no excuses. I'm taking no prisoners. I'm trying to listen as well as I can. I'm trying to articulate as well as I can, calculate as well as I can. I'm not rushing. I'm not trying to get to the end of my list. I'm just doing one task at a time to the best of my ability until that buzzer goes and then I'll transition out of the go zone. So, and that takes the pressure off because you're not trying to sort of get rid of your list, whether it's written or digital, doesn't matter in a perfunctory tick and flick nature. No, no, this is about being the best you can be for that couple of hours. And it's about that focused productivity, isn't it? And making sure that you're not just busy, but you're being productive in that time frame that you're giving yourself and you obviously got that predetermined outcome as opposed to just ticking off the activity. You've got an outcome that you want from it, Mark, is what I'm hearing there. Yeah, well, you, you, your target in the go zone is to keep going as well as you can to the best of your ability until the buzzer goes. And you can pat yourself on the back for that, whether you've done three tasks or 10 tasks. Because what often people will do, let's say they're in business development, they're trying to generate leads and sales, and they'll make a couple of calls and they're pretty tough. They've rejected or hasn't gone the way 
they would like it to go, then often their response will be, oh, wouldn't mind a coffee because we'll let ourselves off the hook and we'll get out of that mode. But, but in the go zone, if you make three sales phone calls and they're disastrous, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because you're making the next task. If you do three tasks or calls and they're sensationally productive, it actually doesn't matter either because you're making the next one. So you're trying to liberate yourself from all that and you'll know you've successfully sort of nailed what it's like to be in a go zone when you'll be working on a task, whether it's on your computer or talking to someone or writing or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden, you know what's going to happen? The buzz is going to go. You will have gone to a deeper level of focus uh, which means that I'm no longer thinking, well, I've done 20 minutes, so I've got an hour and 30 to go, I've done four tasks, I've got eight to go. All that's gone and you've just got to that level. That's that Justin Lane thing. The only thing, the thing that's right in front of you. And, and of course, as you guys know, that's what athletes do. What do athletes think about when they're jumping a skateboard across the Great Wall of China? And of course, the answer is nothing because if they're worried about the wind and the velocity and the ramp, that's when their, their mind gets in the way. But that, you know, people call it flow, like, you know, they call it in the zone. When you've gone past that peripheral level of thought that's thinking to yourself, what's the weather like? What's going to happen in ISO? Uh, you know, what's happening with my income? And when am I going to be able to get out? All that goes and you've gone deeper. And that's when people tap into levels of effectiveness, corporate and sport that they didn't know they had. Like a meditative, meditative state really, isn't it? Um, yeah. So... So, Mark, just so, so the go zone, it, it, it's obviously what you're saying. It's really um, important to let others know by way of a symbol or what it may be that you're in it because distractions are going to well and truly pull you out of that sort of go zone. For the bigger sort of projects, as you said before, I mean, the go zone's more task. What about for those bigger things that aren't potentially tasks, but they're more bigger projects? How are you, how are you sort of managing those? Yeah, same deal. You just take little take little snippets of it. So, so for example, that list we were talking about, I don't start my list when I enter a go zone, the list's ongoing, you know, <laughs> so you, so that you've got the satisfaction, you've already done something, but it hasn't been on your list. So you write it down just so you get to cross it out, but mm-hmm. the list always there. And so what I'll do in a go zone, if I've got like a bigger project, say if I'm, you know, if, if you're writing a book or something like that, it's obviously multiple hours, then what I'll say will be in the, in the, um, in the go zone, I'm going to, I'm going to try to write 500 words. So that might take me, I might write 500 words in half an hour. It might, it might take me two hours. That's fine. So you try to look at those projects and break them down into smaller components. And you can do that in terms of a task, like 500 words, or you can do it in terms of time. I'm just going to write for 40 minutes. And so you set your buzzer for 40, write for 40. And then after that 40, then you might go on to some, if you like, shorter term tasks. Uh, you might go through your email. You might you know, do some research or whatever it might be, but you try to try try to, to break it up because the whole concept of, of that, if you're working on a bigger project and because you can't be in the go zone the whole time, the risk is if you just labor away at the project, then your effectiveness tends to be reduced and the outcome of the project mightn't be so great. It's like, you know, uh, teenagers or, or students who are studying, they know they, they might feel like they need to do an all nighter because they've left it to the last minute, but they grind it out and, you know that feeling when you, you might read something and then you get to the bottom of it and you're so fatigued, you think, what did I just read? 
because you've got no conscious recollection of it or you you send an email and you, you click send and the spell checker picks up all these ridiculous mistakes mm. you would never have made when you're in the go zone. So, so like I, I just really find the mediocrity of doing that, to be honest, I find it pretty boring. So I'd much rather try to have the higher intensity periods and then, and then get away from it for a while. And I think, you know, an analogy of that is a student who's trying to study and they can't work out a math problem. They go outside just for 15 minutes and shoot a few hoops or play with the dog and they come back in and they get a different perspective on it again. And that's the whole idea of, you know, the higher peaks, but then, then you have some recovery as well. So it's the power of chunking, isn't it? You just chunk your activities or chunk your focus for those periods that allows you to do it. And I love all these concepts, Pete, because what Mark does is gives simplicity to what can be complex in some people's thinking. But I, I want to change tack a little bit because I think most of our listeners and much of our audience realistically viewing or listening, they're real go-getters, Mark. They're real, they're real professional people that almost measure their whole ego and identity by their production and their ability to stay the course, to work the long hours. I'm interested to know how do you coach a busy professional whose whole identity is linked to their results, their yeah. whole identity is linked to their work ethic. Like, they, you know, if, if their teammates are putting in 40 hours, they want to put in 50 or, or you know, if their teammates are making 100 calls, they'll do 200 calls. It's almost like it's, it's the more they do, the more, more validated they feel. How do you coach somebody around that? Because we all know what that's a recipe for, which is to either burn out or challenge in, in greater yeah, scale. Exactly. How do you, how do you exactly. coach that? Yeah. It's, a, it's a valid question. In fact, I'm working with, um, I do a, a leadership program for a thing called the Clinical Excellence Commission, which is a New South Wales government body in public health. So the people you're talking about are just, you know, the public health is full of them. Public health doesn't pay as well as private health. So a lot of people have a vocational calling. So we're talking everything from administrators to social workers to, to surgeons. So they're, you know, they're often dealing with some pretty heavy stuff, but there's always one more person to come in. doesn't matter if they work till midnight, six days a week, there's always somebody else that they could actually come in and diagnose or, or treat. And so you're right, their, their identity is so wrapped up in the fact that they're always needed and they're all, always there. But my argument to them is, what about the patients you don't know about who are coming in two years' time? What do you want the length of your career and what do you want your legacy to be? Because people will often wear it as a badge of honour. I'm so needed, I can't take a break, I can't take the holiday. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of people who do that, you talk about the burnout and so on, but there's also the element of that, you know, that's partially the adrenaline, the cortisol thing that, that ramp up or in that state of mind, but they are also very seductive. And when you, when you don't have that and you start to sort of go into an adrenaline pit, you're looking to get that back. And the way a lot of people um, try to get that back is do what they what makes them feel good, which in, in that instance I'm talking about is, is to treat another patient. So again, there's the, well, there's a couple of things with this. The first one is the structural element because just like those go zones I spoke about, there is a slow zone, which is in the middle, which is it's in a, in a, affect everything else apart from sleep. But there is a no zone, which is pre-scheduled, structured, guilt-free recovery that you actually plug into your day and your week on a, on a ratio of two to one. For every two hours in the go zone, one hour in the no zone, not the same days. We can talk about that more a little uh, more if you like. But beyond that, there is the, there's the identity piece about what makes people tick. So, for example, in that instance, I call it cause, connection and care. So 
these uh, medical professionals in the, in the public health system have cause, you know, they have a 10 out of 10 cause because they have a vocational calling. They're super committed to what they're doing. But often because of that, connection is connection with other people, which is really tough, obviously, for people in ISO at the, Melbourne, at the moment, but also connection with nature. So they are often neglected. Their connection with people and connection with nature is neglected and care is self-care. And without self-care and connection, you can't sustain your peak performance to support your cause. So I actually ask people to consider like a triangle, the self-care, that's the care and the connection, which supports the cause at the top of the triangle. So I try to philosophically talk to these people about how they've got the cause, but the cause isn't being held up and the cause is going to flatten when the, when the base of their triangle doesn't stay there. So the philosophical cognitive argument is cause, connection, care. And then from that, the structural argument is you've got to do no zones because if you don't do no zones, you, if you're doing surgery or if you, if you record a couple of podcasts in a day, you'll know it's harder in the second or third um, podcast. A surgeon who's, wor who's working for six or eight hours in a, in a row, even they have to have that light and shade because otherwise I don't want to be last on the list going in for, to have them um, mm. performing surgery on me. I think it's interesting in um, in the real estate world. I think during during lockdown, what's been most difficult is that we are adrenaline junkies, and yeah. if we're not that no zone is like, oh, really? Do I need that? It's a little bit like exactly. meditation. It's the, the things we resist the most, are the things we need the most. And I think for adrenaline junkies like like agents, for example, there's many other professions that are actually like that. Um, it's it's really, and I just know from from with with my team just letting them know it's, it's okay to just turn the phone off. Um, we are, we're, we're so, you know, um, wired that we, we feel that yeah. we need to be there every step of the time. So I reckon that would be, uh, that would be in some respects more challenging than a, than a go zone is, is the actual yeah. no zone. You're right. Now for, for some people, it's more about getting out of the go zone and, and, and agents are a classic case of that because there's always the thrill of the deal and you know, potentially a large financial reward from the, from the deal. So I still think the, you know, the answer to that is the structure, being honest with your clients, having a team structure that enables you to do it. But there's also a couple of really short-term, like instantaneous type uh, strategies that, that you, you can use. And that's, this gets a bit heavy, but you, you, I'm not sure whether you've had a previous guest that's talked about cognitive fusion, which is where your thoughts wrap yourself up and you just can't see past those thoughts. And it's almost like trying to get the ability to mentor yourself and see yourself from the side and get rid of that, that really dangerous cognitive fusion. And there's a couple of really brief techniques that people can uh, you know hopefully learn in the next couple of minutes and use and one of them is just called see it feel it release it so see it is be aware that that um you know in, a re in real estate vernacular uh, i had a i thought i had a pretty hot buyer but they've changed their mind i thought i had the listing i didn't get it and to see that that has the uh, potential to stress to stress you out that's not the way you would have liked it to be see it and then feel it means okay you know, just to take just that few seconds, I, you know, I'm human. It's natural to feel like that. But crucially, the third part of that is release it. And you can do that gently, like uh, with the image of a dove flying away into the trees, or you can do it a bit more explosively, like a little bomb, not hurting anyone, but splintering, you know, splintering to a million pieces. So the idea is to see it, feel it, release it, as opposed to see it, grab hold of it, 
and fusing it so it goes round and round and round in your head so it affects everything else you do for the rest of that day. So that's something that takes about 30 seconds. The other one is a breathing strategy, and I know there's heaps and heaps of those. Uh, I, I love to do Wim Hof. Again, not sure whether you're into Wim Hof, but you can download the Wim Hof app. It's a free app, and that's basically you do some deep breaths, then you hold your breath. And the really interesting thing with that is when you do that, so you sort of breathe deeply for a minute, then you hold your breath. And after you do three or four cycles of that, well, you know, it's not a competition, but the first couple of cycles, I only often can only hold my breath for a minute or a minute and a half. But by the time I've done it four times, I can hold my breath for maybe two and a half minutes or a bit longer, which simply means my body is relaxing. And it's not it's, all those things aren't controlling me. And you just sort of follow through guided with the app. Or even simpler, if you're not even into apps and you want an instantaneous intervention, you just breathe in for six seconds. Don't hold your breath at all. Breathe out for six seconds. So that takes 12 seconds, five 12s are 60, which means you'll only be breathing five times in a minute instead of when we're a little bit sort of, you know, in, caught up in the whole thing, we're probably breathing 20 times in a minute. And it might seem um, a little bit hard until you get used to it, but I can promise you if you do to, to your, you know, your, your viewers or your listeners, if you do two or three minutes of that, you will feel demonstrably different than you did before you started. So it's just in for six and out for six. That's it. Do that. Even if you do it five times, mm. you've got to get your body back in control because the brain, the brain will never fix itself. Interesting the, um, with the breath um, and just the, the power of that and just to, if you're feeling anxious or sad or whatever it may be, it's, it's you get your attention to your breath. I never forget I was talking to a, um, an actor friend and we are talking about, gee, it must be hard to act like you're crying. Um, that, that must be just, oh, my goodness. And he, and he just said, look, it's all in the breath. He goes, watch this. And, then, and he started going... <laughs> And, and, and within 30 seconds, he had tears running down his face. It's yeah. like, whoa, that was, it was intense. Mm. But he goes, wait, it is all about the breath. Yeah. And yeah. it's um, quite phenomenal to, um, to, to actually see and to, um, to really be aware of, of, of how that can change emotion. Yeah, and especially when you know, your lung capacity doesn't change in, in five minutes, but your ability to sort of get rid of the, you know, what they call a CO2 trigger to, to actually get that out and get a decent breath in, it's just amazing that you know, like I've seen it a lot of times where people double their breath hold in five minutes. By the way, if you do that, do that sitting down. You don't want to, you know, be standing <laughs> up and sort of fall on anything. So do yeah. it sort of where you're nice and safe and you only hold your breath to sort of any to a sort of an intensity level of about eight out of ten. You don't push yourself right to those last few seconds. But it's just an indication that we often carry with us a, a level of late latent tension. And I know if I if I sort of say to myself, don't think about work, don't think about work, don't think about work or you know, trying to meditate, don't think about anything, don't think about anything. It's much harder <laughs> yeah. than, um, you know, than if you actually do something that actually makes that, that bridge between your body and your brain. So don't follow that strategy, Pete, uh, operating heavy equipment or uh, <laughs> it's a bit like texting and driving. We always love to give a very, very valid community benefits sort of message, which I think is important. Mark, I'm interested to know uh, there's always the thought about who coaches the coach. Where do you go? Because uh, you give so much of you and your life experiences and your lessons and, dare I say, your strategies to those who seek you out either in a personal one-on-one -on -one scenario or for their teams and so on. Where do you go to fill up? 
your coaching cup, if that's the right way of saying it, or where do you go to reinforce your philosophy, or was it something that's been intrinsically formed a long time ago and you just maybe reinforce it with uh, with things? Is it is it a digital TED scenario, or do you still like to read? What where do you go to fill up your cup? Yeah, it's a it's, it's an interesting question, and um, it's a little bit different at the moment because all the work I've done, um, like yourself, I often do presentations, corporate presentations, but of course, all of those are happening uh, digitally at the moment. So you're not interacting with the people you know, that you often do, and I'm probably a, a little bit different um, to a lot of people like me because I do read a lot, but I, I, I tend to read one fiction, uh, one nonfiction book. So I love the escape of, you know, reading a good, you know, hero type novel. Um, and I also try not to be too influenced by other people and not everyone's going to appreciate that point of view, but for me to do what I do, I, I want it to come from the heart and soul and if I've just, I found myself a few times, I might have just been reading someone else's work and almost find myself tempted to regurgitate their work when I'm presenting to a group. And I just don't find that too honorable. So I do that. I do. Um, I am a podcast man um, and I do that quite regularly, but I'm, I'm sort of really interested in some of the alternative health stuff and some of the, um, you know, the Eastern things. Uh, um I'm a devotee of Charles Handy, who's more of a philosopher. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a mixed bag, um, and and probably a clumsy way to answer your question. But I think, like normally, my presentation would change about twenty percent per year, and I think that's because of the interaction I have with other people that you meet along the way and you hear their presentations and you you chat and discuss with them. Um, but I also, uh, I, I, you know, I think some of the simple things like. Um, parents looking after their kids well uh, and just just really honest human interaction. I get a lot of inspiration from that. Um, and the other thing I finally do is I, I play with words. I try to write little mottos and only use a few words and I try to do that. So I guess, you know, long-winded way of answering a short question, but most of it is is uh, in the sort of self-discovery phase. Mark, could you um could you touch on? I've, I've listened to some of your stuff on on adrenal fatigue, which is a topic that absolutely fascinates me. Um, talk about the, just just what the adrenals actually do. Could you expand on that and 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 with your knowledge, um, impart some wisdom on us with uh, around your adrenals? Sure, sure. Well, basically, in your bloodstream at any given moment, you should have a relatively low level of adrenaline, which is my uh, left hand, and you should hopefully have a higher level of serotonin and melatonin. They're the, they're the bliss chemicals, the mood elevators. So they're replenished through sleep and sunlight and good green veggies, and that's what you want to get through a day of, of high performance. But sometimes without any warning, it's like, bang, there's a, a, a loud noise or um, there's, a, there's a traffic incident or um, there's an email that, you, that really disappoints you. Something happens and your adrenaline, which was my left hand, your adrenaline spikes up. So that's why you can swerve your car in traffic in a fraction of a second or quickly tuck your chin under your shoulder if someone has a poke at you without even realising because adrenaline takes over. We've all had experiences, but when I was a teenager, I saw a a snake uh, and jumped a fence that was impossibly high, and I didn't even know I jumped it till I was over it. We've all all had experiences like that. That's the adrenaline just springing into your bloodstream. It's actually released um, from the adrenal gland and free-floating fatty acids from the liver. But essentially, 
in an instant, you reverse your blood chemistry. So I've gone like that. Now the adrenaline's high and the serotonin and melatonin get suppressed and put into storage. So now you're pumping around on adrenaline. Um, you can tell when someone's got the high level of adrenaline, um, heavy traffic's like a personal insult. You know, a stop sign is just a suggestion. Everything's elevated. You feel like having a drink at the end of the day. You push cancel on the, um, on the microwave because you haven't got the patience to go right to zero. Everything's ramped up. But what comes with that is anger and a bit of latent fatigue and so on. And you might be in that adrenaline-rich state, nominally for a couple of hours, like footy players in a, in a game, um, or if you're on patrol in Afghanistan, it's kind of last for longer than that. But eventually, the adrenaline wants to come back to its baseline level. And the key to all that preamble is when the adrenaline goes back to its baseline level, the good stuff, the serotonin and melatonin, has been suppressed by the adrenaline. It doesn't spring back in. Depending on your personal physiology, it could take two hours <laughs> to get back up to that level. So that's two hours where you're feeling flat, lethargic, or give me a coffee, where's the chocolate, take on another task, anything to get the adrenaline level back up again uh, because we're not allowing time for the natural recourse of the other neurotransmitters. So over time, you've got these adrenaline peaks and then troughs and then peaks and then troughs, but over time, you, you sort of deplete the tank and the adrenaline highs become lower and lower and lower until you get to the point where the adrenaline high is at or below where you used to be without it because you've just depleted the tank. There's no more there. And that's what's called adrenal fatigue. And that's certain, that's, that's, that is the epidemic in our society, in our corporate and for some people, our sporting society. And you often see um, young sports people say, I have a mental health problem. And to be honest, they may, but I often think they've got a physical health problem. Because the adrenal fatigue absolutely makes you feel like that. And we are adrenaline junkies, specifically in this modern age where everything's at the speed of click. There's no delay gratification. We want the actual, the, the feeling, the vibe, the jazz, the, the hit, if you want to call it that right now, don't we? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And the other thing that goes along with that is, uh, is cortisol. So I'm sure you, you guys might have had a cortisone injection sometime for uh, a joint or a tendon to take away the pain, the crepitus. Well, we make our own cortisone, but we call it cortisol. And we've got two stress hormones, adrenaline, and the second one is cortisol. They both come from the adrenal gland. And cortisol is an anti-inflammatory. And its job is when we lie down flat at night in the dark, cortisol is released and it takes away all the inflammation of the day, you know, the free radicals and the urea and the lactic acid and so on. And in the morning, it should ramp down to nothing. So if you're technically minded, it should only be about 20 to 30 picograms per deciliter, which I know sounds like I'm making it up, but that's um, <laughs> grams per uh, uh, tr trillions of, of grams uh, in a deciliter. So it's really finite. But when you get the high adrenaline, you also get the high cortisol and that, takes away the anti-inflammatory role that it does. Too much of a good thing, it doesn't work, there's not enough left. So you wake up in the morning and think, oh, I must be getting arthritis, all my joints are aching. You tend to put on a bit of belly fat. You're, um, you get these cravings for salty, fatty foods. You can't concentrate on anything for more than 10 minutes, goes on, and you crash at night. But then you wake up wide awake two hours later thinking about all the things you have to do tomorrow or didn't get through today. So between that, that, those adrenals, if you get that all that going on, then you have to rely so much on your determination and your work ethic and your willpower to get your performance, but it cannot be sustained peak performance. 
everyone who goes into that situation, they might work like maniacs and try to recover on the weekends to get through one more week. But long term, you never get sustainable peak performance through that. Fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation. I, I just love, love talking about it. Talk to us about your morning and evening routines. So what are you doing in the morning? And, you know, should, should everything be working well and the cortisol's done its job uh, in the evening? And yeah. um, so, so how are you winding down and how are you winding up? Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've got to say I'm super lucky and um, I am, I'm actually in Broadbeach at the moment. I've been here for, for a couple of months, sort of when all this started. I'm 100 metres from the beach and I'm a, I'm a keen surfer. So it, the ultimate for me is up in the morning, the water's warm, just, you know, put on a wetsuit or some board shorts. Don't get in a car. I walk down to the beach. It's ironic. I know people will be watching this podcast at different times, but I'm actually out of the water at the moment because there's actually been a couple of shark attacks in the last uh, couple of weeks here, and it's there's a there's a whale carcass, so I can't actually go in the water at the moment, and I really feel the effects of that. So my my routine, if I'm not surfing, is I'm up, I go down the beach, uh, I stretch on my towel for about 20 minutes as the sun's coming up. Then I do a Wim Hof, which is that breathing thing I was talking about with the app. That takes 12 minutes. And then I swim and then I go and have a coffee and I'm thinking, how good is this? How lucky am I? And then, then I sort of get into my day and it's the ultimate. And it's, it's a little bit like people might be in, um, you know, apartments and so on. And I really, you know, I, I really empathise with you at the moment. But I think if you can even get on your balcony and try to connect with nature between the other buildings or wherever you are, and even if you just look at it and listen to it, um, it's a great start to the day. So I have a really active uh, day. There's, there, I'm actually doing quite a lot of work at the moment, but having lots of fun as well. And by 10 o'clock at night, I can hardly keep my eyes open. And as long as I haven't drunk too much water later in the evening, I sleep right through till about six and then I go again the next day. So um, <laughs> there was a little hidden tip in there is if the call of nature interrupts your sleep, drink much more water early in the day and not too much later. And you'll be urinating in the early evening and not in the middle of the night because unbroken sleep of all of the tips I have for anybody the number one is work out your life in a way that you can get unbroken sleep. Well, I think, Pete, it's fair to say when we had Richard Day on in season two and uh, there was so much content, it became episode 39 and 40 because we couldn't get it to fit into one episode. Pretty confident we might need to get Mark back to continue the discussion and the conversation and we could imply that that means you have to say, yes, well, we've got you online now, mate, otherwise our listening audience, our subscribers might sort of uh, question all of that. One of the things that's important there is that we love to give uh, you access to elite coaches, great voices of value, people that can really add through just simple hacks, simple strategies, some things that can make it happen for you. This man has shared with you not just blood chemistry and not just how you're wired up mentally and not just how you know oxygen, the good old CO2 will help you dramatically, but more importantly, he's shown you that he can also turn into the Hulk if we can just put a snake in front of him. That's what I do. <laughs> he will turn green. He will leap buildings at a single jump. He will just make it happen. Uh, I want to see what would happen if he did paddle out there at the moment because, yeah, you're right, there's that. And because you've got like the shark drums and the nets up there and somehow this one's got sort of through it, which is a challenge, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, we don't want you becoming uh, I, sort I of an appetizer. I was a bit confused though, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this and totally off topic, but they, um, the shark that got that agent, um, they said it was a white pointer and they said, yeah, we found a tiger shark in the net. That was it. It's like, well, hang on. You just said it was a white pointer's tooth, but you found a tiger shark. Um, yeah. 
What, what, what's the latest on that? Well, yeah, well, that was a different shark, but there was uh, uh, another shark, a great white knocked a guy off a foil. You know, the foils that come out of the water with like the keel underneath. Oh, yeah. Knocked him off that. That was um, two days ago, close. But what hasn't been reported is there's been, when you read the blogs and just talk to the hardcore guys, there's been multiple sightings and close encounters. And I, I was I was surfing with sort of impunity. I, I had an absolute false sense of security thinking <laughs> I'm as safe here as I could ever be. So I've been out there by myself at dawn and, you know, just, but uh, at the moment, yeah. And, and I've got a son who lives in, in, in Byron and he's a really keen surfer and, and even he's out of the water at the moment. So you just, sometimes you just have to play the odds a bit more, I think, but before too long, but that's, there's lots of people like right now, there'd be, there'd be 20 people out there. So people have their different views with the sharks domain and that, but I'm staying in the shallows for a while. Yeah. I would have thought surfing at dawn's a bit like a drive through for a shark for breakfast, isn't mm-hmm. it? We'd want to make sure that that's probably not the way to go, but um, there you go. You've got a little bit of everything from Mark Kern today. And I think the most important thing, Mark, if someone did want to connect who's watching or listening to this right now, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you and access your wealth of coaching knowledge? Uh, yeah, thanks. So it's just through the website, markmckeon.com. That's, it. That's the easiest way. And you've got obviously best-selling books. You've talked about the Go Zone. You, you've got some books that have got uh, – the thing I love about your books, mate, they are very easy to read. They're, uh, you could read them in one sitting fairly comfortably. You could, Well, I was going to say you could read them in a flight. No one's flying anymore, Pete, aren't they, at the minute. But you could actually yeah, access the information so quickly, so uh, easily. But the good thing is this is not a man who is giving you strategy on theory. This is a man who's lived it, and I think that that's the important thing. I don't think he's asking you to, to be anything or do anything that he hasn't already experienced himself. And I think he's got a gift of sharing because he knows – that it works. He's into wealth and health, you know, health and well-being, and he's into most importantly, not very high-tech things that are going to take forever for you to understand, but just simplistic things that you can bring into your daily life. And I think if we've heard anything in this interview, Pete, we've heard that routine sets you free once you've got the routine right and you've got some, you know, your agenda in the go zone filled with some real key outcomes. You're going to be super productive. I'm going to leave you to to wrap up and thank our very special guest. Oh, it's just wonderful to tap into to such a smart mind like yours, Mark, and, and, and thank you for the gift of your time and being and sharing some some wonderful, um, very, very cool techniques with our uh, with our watchers and listeners. The see it, feel it, uh, release it. I mean, it's interesting how how oh, I'm an incredibly visual person as I think most people are very visual, but the, the release of the dove, um, that's something that I'm, I'm going to be absolutely adopting that uh, immediately. Um, along with some um, some other very really cool techniques, I think the, the breath I think is something that that uh, I think can yeah, is really important for everyone. And, and I don't think you you have the ultimate well being without really controlling and understanding what the breath actually does. So um, some wonderful wonderful um, uh, techniques and uh, insights you've shared, Mark. And um, thank you so much once again for the gift of your time. Guys. Thanks for having me on, guys. All the best, everyone. Look and after again. And again, like always, if you've liked the episode, please make sure that you rate it, share it, give us some feedback, get in touch with Mark Direct at his website. That would be the easiest thing to do. If there are people in your networks, people in your family, people there in your immediate sphere that you think could benefit from this interview, we ask that you do nothing more than just share it. The content is free, always will be, and we'll do our best to bring another voice of value to you. Next episode, Mark, thanks again. All the best, everyone. Thank you. 
We trust you enjoyed this episode of Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast provider to ensure you never miss an episode. And as always, we welcome your feedback, ratings and reviews of the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced from our website, voicesofvaluepodcast.com. We look forward to you joining the conversation again next week when Rick and Peter continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.